Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be wrapping up today our series that was entitled, I Love My Bible. I want everyone to say that with me together. Say, I love my Bible. One more time. Very good. It's good to love your Bible. It is God's voice to us. And we've taken these four lessons, obviously after this one, to uh, give you some help and assistance in falling in love with the Word of God. And we're going to do that again here in just a moment as we wrap it up. But I wanted just to give you a preview and mark it just a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm excited. I've said this for years and years and years. It's, it's a redundant old saying of pastors. And my view is the best thing I'm ever going to talk about is what is right in front of me or what's coming up. Uh, it's my favorite thing. And just evaluating our church and how we have been participating in, you know, not, not this incredible uh, awakening, I wouldn't call it that, but there's been a, a palpable sense of the presence of the Lord. I just felt moved because 2017 was going to be our year when we were going to go through all of our series. We're going to start out with I love because we want to love what God loves. And so we started out with I love my Bible and I've got a whole list of things that we need to love. <clears throat> but this one just was quickened to me. And so our next series I've entitled, I Love Revival. I Love Revival. And I'm just really excited about talking about that. And I think there are going to be some great themes that are going to come out of that. And we're just going to stoke the embers. You know, revival usually starts as a little ember of fire. And then God's people begin to stoke it through their intercession and their passion and their obedience and all those other Christian virtues and and there are times God, when he determines in his sovereignty, he'll allow that to ignite and, and something earth-shaking takes place. And I love that. I'd love to be a part of that, wouldn't you? I mean, I love church. I love, I love the Lord, obviously. Uh, we could say we love a lot of things, but I would love before, before the Lord takes me home, I would love to be in a revival if you really understood what revival was. I'm not talking about a series of meetings. That's not revival. They may call it revival, but that's not, not necessarily revival. But I would love to be in the middle of a revival. And we're going to talk about that. And so uh, hopefully that will wet your whistle and you'll be hungry to see God move like that. Amen? That starts next Sunday. But we're wrapping up I Love My Bible series and uh, we're in Matthew chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading 11 verses in Matthew chapter 4. It's a familiar passage, and actually Jesus is in the middle of a fast. He's actually coming to the end of his fast. And I thought to myself, how appropriate to read these particular passages as we're coming out of our fast. And in Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, I want you to listen very carefully to a familiar passage a familiar event in our lord's life listen carefully as to what takes place because i think something's going to leap off the page of the technology and uh it's it's going to cause a light to come on so let's read together matthew chapter 4 beginning with verse 1 we read then jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward he was hungry. That's an understatement, don't you think? 
Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, how many of you know he is the son of God? If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written. I I want you to keep those three words because you're going to hear that again and again here in just a moment. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Now the enemy's quoting scripture. How about that? He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And our last lesson in our series, I love my Bible, I've entitled God told me. God told me. Now, I believe, as hopefully you do as well, I believe that God speaks. He's a speaking God. Uh, I am what you would use. I hate labels. I've said that before. But you'd label me a charismatic or Pentecostal. That's the quick way of kind of summing up where I land in my overall belief systems. I understand there are people that do not live up to these labels very well. I understand there are tangents and excesses. I get all of this. But generally, if I had to use a word or two just to sum up who I am, I would use those, I would use those terms. The fancy term is a continuationist. That we believe that the Holy Spirit continues to work in the earth. He didn't stop in the book of Acts he, you know, he didn't, you know, do just a little bit of work and he's gone somewhere else. But we believe that the Lord is alive and well. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And there's a continuation of the works of the spirit in the earth even today, which means I believe in prophetic utterances. I believe that God speaks prophetically. I believe that he can give a dream. Anybody ever feel like they got a dream from God? I'm just curious. You ever, I mean, just if you felt like you got a dream from God sometime or, or you heard from God in some form of fact, or maybe a vision. I believe in an open vision and you can get visions from the Lord, impressions. I believe the Holy Spirit can lead us and guide us. And so, and so I have absolutely no prejudice against the sentence or the word God told me. I suspect through the years I've stood before you and I have said those very words. I felt like God told me something. Felt like the Lord spoke to me in some form or fashion. But the thing I want you to know today as we're going through this, as we're talking about the Bible, and it's this, that the Bible, by precept and by principle, is God's voice as it speaks to all of life. So when we're talking about how God speaks, while it is true that God can come and speak to us in all of these experiential ways, and my Bible is on my technology, but I'm telling you that the Bible is the voice of the Lord to us. Amen? 
If you're ever wanting a word from God, if you say, I hadn't heard God speak to me, you just have to go open your Bible and God will begin to speak to you because the Bible is his voice. But saying that, that the Bible speaks to all of life, I also recognize that the Bible never tells us, for example, where we should work. The Bible never says, go work at Target or go work at Walmart. doesn't say that. doesn't say that you should work for this company or that company. It doesn't say how long necessarily you should work for certain companies or places. The Bible doesn't say those things exactly. The Bible doesn't say exactly where we should live. Should you live in a house? Should you go rent? Should you be in an apartment? Uh, You know, it doesn't tell us exactly what we should do. The Bible doesn't say whether I should go to college or not. The Bible doesn't say, do you go on and go to more school, go to graduate school, or go to trade school, or not go to any school. The Bible doesn't say any of these things. The Bible doesn't tell us who we should marry by name. The Bible doesn't say what model of car we should drive doesn't say whether we should drive a truck or an SUV. doesn't tell us what church we should go to. The Bible doesn't say what store to shop at or what store not to shop at, what grocery store that you should frequent. The Bible doesn't say any of these things. So a lot of life we could put before you and tell you that while the Bible doesn't speak to these things, it's not to say that God doesn't have perhaps some leadership or some guidance that he may not want to bring in these areas. And so he leads us through our ability to hear him. So so oftentimes we will pray over things, believing that God will speak to us and that God will give us an impression, guidance, however it is that it will come to us. We're believing that God will speak to us or guide us and and then we arise and then we'll use terminology whether it's right or wrong we'll use the terminology god told me that i should begin to do this and a lot of times we step out and we do that by faith are you following me how many of you feel like god's told you something at some point or another i hope i hope almost everybody could say you know there have been moments in my life that i do feel like i had an impression i had a word i had a dream i had something that was impactful enough that i was convinced that that was the lord and I arose and I, and, I, and I stepped into it because I believe God told me to do that. Now having said that, we also need to know that God's leading in this manner is what I call subjective. What I mean by that is, is that sometimes if you're like me, you're going, okay, Lord, is this you or is it that pizza? Following me. Is this you or am I just frustrated? Is this you or am I angry? You know what I'm saying? I I mean, maybe you've got this thing worked out perfectly, but I'm just telling you from where I'm at, and I've been walking with the Lord for a good long while now, that there are times that that my, my, my senses are somehow receiving something I believe is the Lord, but it's still kind of subjective because there's no way I can share that even with my wife and she might get it the same way I get it because she's not the one experiencing it at the moment. And so that's why I call it subjective. There can be some subjectiveness to it. And and what we need to understand is, is that while God speaks to us, I believe I intensely believe that God will speak to us in these subjective ways. The key today is is that God's subjective ways of speaking and leading us never violates God's word. 
which is the objective standard by which we measure life. In other words, God does not contradict himself. If this is God's word, and we should believe it is for various reasons, then if he's going to say something to us, he's not going to contradict what he's already codified in the scripture. And there's a difference between subjective revelation, bear with me, and objective revelation. I'm going to get to the real practical point, I promise. I'll get to some really practical stuff here, but just take the ride with me for a minute. In our circles, we tend to use the word revelation loosely. I got a revelation today. I got a revelation that if I set my alarm clock 15 minutes earlier, I'll get to school on time. And, and we'll use the word revelation. The word actually means unveiling. It means like you, 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 you weren't understanding something or the light bulb hadn't come on yet. And the minute it comes on, we just say, I got a revelation. And we'll use that terminology with regards to even getting a prophetic word. So let's just say I'm over look, looking at Rachel. So I got a word for Rachel and I prophesy over Rachel. And maybe Rachel hears something in that prophetic word, which is subjective because it's coming. It's, it's God coming through me to you. It's not to say it's not serious. It's not important. It's not the Lord. I'm not saying, but it is subjective in the sense that human beings are kind of working with it. And maybe God, God underscores a phrase or something and it just lights up in you and go, wow. Yeah, that's the Lord. And, and you would say, perhaps, I don't know, Rachel, whether she would use that or not. She goes, I got her. That was revelation to me. And, that's, and we tend to use it that way. But hear me, that most of the body of Christ, we, we get in trouble because most of the rest of the body doesn't define that word that way. Most of the rest of the body defines revelation as that which is objective and is never changing. And God, when, if God, see, to most people, when we say, hey, God spoke to me, or I got a prophetic word from somebody, there's a lot of people in the broader body of Christ who would say to themselves, that's impossible because God's not writing scripture anymore. And if that's God's voice, then it probably is equal to what the scripture says. We understand, most of us understand that's not the case. That there can be subjective revelation, but the Bible is objective revelation. In other words, you're right. It's the measuring stick. God has codified his word. It's unchanging. It's immutable. It is what he said to us. And anything that comes any other way has to conform the Bible. Uh, it must conform to the Bible. The Bible does not conform to a prophetic word you got from somebody in the parking lot. Are you following me? So the leading you receive, the word, dream, vision, direction is subject to the Bible. In fact, the very word I've mentioned this before we use concerning the Bible is that it's the canon of Scripture. Now, and when I say canon, I'm not talking about the big gun that shoots off artillery. The, the word canon means measuring stick. It is how we measure everything that comes into our life. You evaluate the legitimacy of what you are hearing to what has already been said. Now Jesus, interestingly, is it not, as you begin to read Matthew chapter 4, that Jesus was evaluating out of his fast because God, the Father, was perhaps working with him. I don't know. We don't know everything that was happening, and I'm not getting into Trinitarian issues here. I'm just simply saying Jesus is, is in his fast. He's coming out of his fast. And he's beginning to hear some things, and those things are coming from the devil himself. And as the devil is whispering in his ear certain truths, or what seems to be certain truths, Jesus begins to evaluate it, and he continually says over and over again, 
the, the phrase, remember, it is what? It is written. Everyone say together with me. It is, one more time, it is written. 40-day fast. The enemy was speaking to him. And just like Eve did sort of in, in her issues of the garden, as the enemy was speaking to her, she did not pay attention closely to what God had said. And so the enemy easily convoluted some things in order to deceive her. But now we have Jesus here in the wilderness and even the enemy comes and he can do this, that scripture, the enemy will maybe throw scripture at you, but hear me, you can throw scripture at things, but if you're not understanding scripture correctly, it can be convoluted to be twisted to mean anything. I could make a case for suicide uh, in a person's life out of the scripture if, if you'd let me twist it. That's right. Judas went out and hung himself. Now you go do likewise. How many of you know I just twisted scripture? Sure I did. Well, the enemy does this all the time. You can, tw- you can use the literal word of God and twist it. So you have to be able to interpret it and understand it. And even the enemy comes to Jesus attempting to quote a scripture to him. But Jesus doesn't buy into how the enemy's quoting it because he responds to him by saying, it is written again. He's saying, that's not the verse you use for this situation. This is the verse you use for this situation. It is written. And this is where at times, and it's not just a, a full gospel problem, it's not just a Pentecostal problem, it's really becoming a problem all across the body of Christ, it's where we get snagged. It's because we're making our feelings and our desires, our wants, our emotions, our pressures, our senses so strong in us at times we grant them more influence and authority than god's word yeah we sure do for an example i'll just give you examples in this area a person might say i'm attracted to someone of the same sex this attraction strong i was born with this attraction How could God have made me this way if this was so wrong? Therefore, God must have created me this way. Therefore, my my proclivity or my attraction, which is so strong, now takes authority over what God has said. See, that's why we're we're battling. But don't think it only happens in same-sex attraction. I've listened listened to couples before they got married justify their premarital sexual activity by saying hey i've got i've got needs surely god wouldn't want my needs to go unmet even though we're not married we're not in covenant there's been no commitments made and they'll enter into these things because god told me god told me people get divorced and again if you're divorced here we're not throwing eggs at you or rocks at you or anything else at you hey we, you know, I understand everybody's fallen short, made poor decisions, and, and here's the deal. You've got to start where you are. You can't go back and change what's been done. You can repent for it. Don't do it again. But you've got to pick yourself up from where you are. So, so I'm not here to, to pick on divorced people. If there's a divorce in your history, it happened, get it under the blood, move forward. But hear me when I'm saying this. Don't again enter into... The convolution that says, well, I'm married to this woman, but I don't know that I was doing God's will, so this other woman has come along, and now I think God told me that I should divorce her in order to go with her. That's not God. All right? And if we don't stop this stuff, 
we'll never gain our credibility back with a culture who does the very same thing and looks at us and goes, I don't see really what the difference is. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I am going to say this point because you know it's just me. But we do that in elections. We do it in elections, too. We, we avoid working through leadership selection in a way that, that God prescribes by precept in his book. And we just simply say, well, God told me. God told me to do this. God sent a prophet to tell me this. Hey, listen, I believe in prophetic utterances. I believe in subjective leadings. But here, here's what the, the key to the church is. The church, before the church gets all wound up in prophetic utterances, we need to get wound up in obedience. To obey what God has said. And I'm telling you, we're not, we're not doing this very well. Our obedience, we're linking to subjective matters, which sometimes I think are suspect. Because we want what we want. Every, every act of your life. Doesn't Paul say in Colossians and 1 Corinthians, he says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, how are you to do it? You're to do it all to the glory of God. If, I, if I'm about ready to enter into something, and I'm wondering, is this act that I'm going to enter into right or wrong, this is the key. Everything I do needs to be filtered through the Bible. I need to ask myself the question, in what I am about to enter into, does God affirm it? Does he, does he tell me to, to avoid it, to remove it, to not do it, to go do it joyfully or joy, joyously? I mean, what does God have to say about it? And, and it isn't just, I prayed about it, and therefore I have this subjective leading, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. But is there anything in the Bible by way of principle or precept that I need to get under my belt in order that I make sure I'm not being disobedient. That is why Paul said to Timothy to study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible, the Bible is our, it's our anchor, it's our rudder, it's our roadmap, it's our owner's manual. It's what we've got to get into our system in order that we can begin to make the, the best choices we can make in order that we might enjoy the abundant life that Jesus promised. So, I want to walk through this real quick. I know the kids are with us, and here's the good news. I'm not, I, you know, I understand that when we're on fifth Sundays, the kids can only hang tough for so many moments. So I'll get through this quickly. But I want to answer the question, how to filter your life? Because we're all going to make decisions this week. We're all going to make choices. We're all going to, we're all going to act in some form or fashion. Maybe to you, it won't be, you won't have any big decisions to make this week, and so you're really not even thinking in that way. And sometimes that's another problem. We think that it's only the big decisions that God cares about. Sometimes it can be even the smaller decisions, or what we perceive to be smaller. But how to filter your life? I'm going to give you five questions that you can just start asking yourself as you're beginning to consider stepping into or acting uh, in some way with regards to a decision, uh, to, to making some choice, to doing some activity, whatever the case may be. How many of you have heard of the phrase that we're living in a postmodern America? How many of you have maybe have heard? It's, it's a postmodern America. Now, you may not know what postmodern means, but, but basically when someone says it's a postmodern America, it means several things. Number one, it means it's post-Christian. In other words, we no longer have a Christian uh, 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 ethos, a Christian atmosphere america i believe had a christian 
uh, uh, founding. I believe that we, we function literally for decades and decades and decades on a Judeo-Christian ethic, but we are just not there anymore. We are in a postmodern era, which is post-Christian by way of cultural ethic. Postmodern also means that there's no such thing as absolute or objective truth. That's, that's really the other part of postmodernism. And that is truth is always subject to how you feel. In other words, what may be truth to you may not be truth to me. We all have our own truths. Everybody's got their own truth. Well, that's truth for you. Not truth for me. Maybe your truth is to, to walk with Jesus. That's not my truth. Well, hear me. Somebody's wrong. You can't use the word truth and look at someone and say, there's your truth and my truth. That it just can't be. There is a truth, but there's no two truths. Especially when they're alienated one with another. Somebody's got the truth and somebody's got the error. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And in postmodernism, there is no objective truth. There is no, there is no uh, 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 singular authoritative way to look at it. There's no objective morality. And what has happened is in postmodernism, our truth is now tied into how we feel. If that makes you happy, it must be your truth. As long as you're happy, that must be God's will. And if you let me dig long enough, I'll probably find a verse that remotely says that. Because we do it in the church too. We tie in truth to how we feel. If, if, if I go to, I mean, again, you, there, there's thousands of great churches, so hear me. There are, there are wonderful churches, but we tie it into this. If I like it, if it makes me happy, if, I says, if it says what I want to hear, we, we are becoming postmodern even in how we evaluate our Christian walk. It's no longer based on truth. It's based on do I feel something out of that, and that is very dangerous. And that's postmodernism. It is the subjective has become the objective. And as long as I feel a certain way, that's my truth. And, and I'm just telling you, that's not Bible. Because the Bible says, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says we're about obedience whether you feel like it or not. And I'll guarantee you, you don't let your kids be postmodern in your house. If they don't feel like getting up and going to school, I imagine some of you say, <laughs> it don't matter how you feel. You're getting up now i don't feel like taking my plate off the dinner table and putting it in the dishwasher i don't care how you feel there's a truth in this household the truth is everybody does their chores everybody see this is what's funny nobody nobody really wants to function postmodernly when they're in charge but then we come to god and we're all postmodernists and then we then we just simply twist it and say well god told me how do you filter these things? I want to ask just several questions. You may want to write them down or at least, you know, get the YouTube video and just think about these things. Five quick questions. How to filter your life. Number one, is what I am about to do contradict any biblical principle or precept? Is what I'm about to do contradict any biblical principle or precept? in the scripture it's, it's a pretty simple question can i do this or is there something in the bible that says no I, am i about ready to do something but the but god says through his word don't do that don't please don't do that 
Am I about ready to do? Because when you're doing that, you can't say, well, but I, but I feel like God told me to do this. God will not contradict himself, see? And, and, and so you have to begin to ask yourself that question. I've begun, I've attempted to apply this to every area of my life. We just went through this, again, this great election season, and I began to apply this in how I approached uh, an election, and man, I got, I got toasted by Christian people who when I suggested that they should just be obedient to a couple of precepts, you would have think, I would have told them, I don't know what you would think. I mean, I've never been hit. I was called an idiot. I was called a Pharisee. I, I, in fact, I developed a list. I had a list of all the epithets that I was called during this season. It ended up being about that long. It was amazing how many things I was called by believers when I just simply suggested they should obey the word and not do something that contradicted the word. Folks, we're in trouble. And, and what I'm about to do, will it contradict any biblical principle uh, or precept in Scripture? Number two is this. Is there a similar situation or precept in Scripture? Is there a similar situation? In other words, you're about ready to do something, and, is there, and, and you're interpreting the Bible rightly. Is there, uh, is there some sort of illustration or example, or is there anything you can point to in Scripture that remotely resembles what it is you're about to do. Now, it's amazing, again, the Bible speaks to all of life. And so you need to uh, know that there's probably, you know, people worked in the Scripture. So do you th- is it God's will to go to work? Well, the answer is yes, because I can tell you people worked in the Bible. So, you know, I, I mean, these are silly, I understand, at some level. But if you don't get the smaller, even what seems sillier things down when it comes to the big things you know, you won't eject from that either. So is there a similar situation? Number three is this. Is this leading that you're receiving, is there uh, this leading an activation point or an intercession point? This is really a good one. This hit me the other day. uh, Because sometimes, and I appreciate, I want you to know, I have people share with me. In fact, my wife, Andrea, I just want you to know, my wife shared with me, you shared with her a word and administered to her and and, you know, that, that, that's an encouragement. So what I'm about ready to say, I want you to know that we receive incredible encouragement at times from people who receive what they feel like is a word from the Lord, and they give it to us, and it really encourages us. And indeed, it, it was probably the Lord. In fact, I'll say it was the Lord. So that's great when that happens, and it happens to us a lot because, you know, people love their pastor, and they want him to be encouraged or her to be encouraged, and so that's a good thing. But hear me when I say this. I get, I get prophetic words at times. Where honestly, this is what I thought. It really wasn't so much a word to be given to me as much as I think that God may have given people a word which was basically a point of their personal intercession. People will have dreams, and, I, and, and maybe Pastor T or myself will be in their dream. They'll run up, Pastor, I had a dream last night. You were in this dream, and they'll tell me this big dream, thinking that because I was in their dream, it must have something to do with me. No, I was just a character actor in that dream. That dream wasn't about me. That dream might have been something for you to be able to pray about or to intercede about. In fact, I'll just say this, that a lot of what God uh, speaks to us, I think, in many, many ways, has more to do with us than it has to do with anybody else. Because God can speak to them if he wants to. So I would just suggest this. I'm not saying that God won't use you or he hadn't used me or won't continue to do work through us in order to minister to people. I believe that. 
But hear me when I say this, that some of these leadings we get and some of the visions and the dreams and other things that we may get, a lot of times they're for us as an intercession point, not necessarily an activation point. I mean, God spoke to Joseph. Think about this. He spoke to Joseph. He told his brothers of this dream or vision he had. You remember about the, the, the sheaves, the, what were they, the wheat sheaves or corn sheaves, and they were bowing down before him. I mean, it was really a stupid thing for a 17-year-old kid to wander up to his older brothers and say, guess what I heard from God? You all are going to bow down to me one day. And that, that made the family happy, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe Joseph should have kept his mouth shut and just let God minister to him that hopeful word, and maybe he wouldn't have found himself in a pit. We'll never know the end of that story because he shot his mouth off. And, he, and obviously God used everything in his life to get him ultimately to the place where that word was fulfilled. My point is simply this. You need to begin to evaluate your leadings and ask yourself, is this something I'm just supposed to leap on and do, or is this something I'm supposed to begin to pray about? Because maybe God hasn't filled in all the different points in gaps. Ask yourself that question. Number four, ask yourself this. Will I disobey objective truth for this subjective leading? Will I obey, uh, or excuse me, will I disobey objective truth for this subjective leading? It's number four. If you know for a fact that God has a precept or a principle, ask yourself, really, am I, am I going to take... Hear me, if Jesus himself, if Jesus himself had the devil whisper in his ear, do you not think the devil might not whisper in your ear? If Jesus himself had the devil quote a scripture in his ear, do you not think that the devil might not convolute or twist a scripture in your ear and hear me when i say that if you're hearing a word before you just say that must be god you need to study to show yourself approved go read that thing read the verses around it understand what god was saying in context get the precept out of that thing the enemy loves to twist things i've heard men make a case for their infidelity based on the concubines of solomon you, you, you say, that's crazy. You should have been sitting at my desk the time or two I've heard that. Then make the case. Well, Solomon had 800 concubines. <laughs> that's why he was crazy. But they do. Well, it's in the Bible. Well, yeah, it's in the Bible. Number one is God never affirmed it. Number two is you aren't a king. <laughs> and number three is when you go to the New Testament, you see that God clears up this standard. This was, never, this was never his heart for kings to have concubines. In fact, God said in the beginning, this, was, this would be the problem with kings, is that they'd want to be like the kings of heathen countries. But, oh, you had a word that whispered, the enemy could speak too. Number five, and this is the last question I'll just suggest here. Do those who know the word, the scripture, confirm the leading? In other words, are there some people, and hear me, that know the word? In fact, the Bible in Proverbs says that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. I looked up that word counselors one time, and that word counselor doesn't mean anybody. It means those people that are particularly skilled or trained 
in understanding the word and the application of the word. It's, it's, the, the counts, it's, a, it's a counselor who knows what he's talking about. That verse isn't because you call up six of your friends whom you know are going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. That's not what that word means. You've got to find someone who knows the word, someone that's, that's into the word, someone that will tell you what the word says. And do people of the word confirm that? Now, those are just five things. I could probably throw out another five things, but I'll just leave you with that because if you can, if you can filter your decisions through at least those first five questions, that will get you a long way down the road. Now, I think this point is incredibly relevant, and uh, I'm, I'm coming in for a landing here. We just completed our 21-day fast. There is a legitimate sense of God's presence and purpose uh, in our midst, and that's encouraging to me. And there have been on-target words. God's been downloading things. I've been listening as people have been sharing and sharing words and what God's saying. And I hadn't heard anything, honestly. I've not heard anything uh, that has come forth that I would say, I don't know about that. I, I mean, I, I, I sense that everything's been on target. It's been within the boundaries of Scripture. But hear me when I say this, and that is that Jesus, when he was coming out of his 40-day fast, where he was also around the presence of God, it was the time that Satan saw what was happening and started to convolute and twist what God was wanting to do with Jesus even. He was trying to convolute it in in order that he could begin to mess up God's purposes that were to manifest through Jesus himself. What happened? The enemy came and began to tempt the Lord with legitimate issues, and he began to misapply the scripture. Jesus was hungry, and so he tempted him in the area of hunger and his, and his bodily desires. Uh, the enemy tempted him in, with regards to a presumption. He wanted Jesus, you know, to leap off a cliff or a building and, and test God. He, was, he wanted him to be presumptuous. And then finally, the... the, the uh, the enemy said, I'll give you everything. He wanted Jesus to take dominion in an unscriptural way. And, and I'm here to tell you that all of these areas, the enemy will come to us as we come out of this marvelous time of 21 days that the enemy never changes his tactics. Why? It's because in thousands of years of human history, we always respond as human beings almost exactly the same way as our predecessors did. He doesn't have to change his ways because all he has to say is, I got a new generation of human beings. They'll be as stupid as that other generation. And by golly, he's right. So I'm here to say, let's be of the generation that mirrors our Lord, understanding that the enemy will come to us even after this wonderful 21 days and try to convolute what God is genuinely wanting to do. And Jesus, what did he do in order to ward off the enemy? What did he do? Did he go through these, you know, and again, I'm a charismatic, but he didn't go through these charismatic gyrations and everything in order to get rid of it. He said, it is written. It is written. My greatest concern today is why Pentecostal people and full gospel people are running from the scriptures. We need to be running to the scriptures. The minute you challenge people on virtue of the scripture, they always say, well, that's just your interpretation. It is written. It's not my interpretation. It is written. You cannot say it is written until you first say, I have read. And we think 
We're helping God out when we get these subjective leadings. And I'm afraid that if this is the path we continually take without being moored to the Scriptures, we're going to find out that it's going to come back and cost us more than we ever imagined. But here's the good news. And let me show you what happens if we take this seriously. Jesus faces the enemy. He's coming out of this fast period. He said over and over, it is written. And I want to read to you Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. If you want to find that, it's on the screen. Listen to this. This is, this is in the harmonized account. I read to you earlier Matthew, his account of Jesus in the wilderness. And now this is Luke's account of Jesus in that same wilderness. And he said at the end of his time period, in verse 14, it said, Then Jesus returned, how? In the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He fasted. He warred with the enemy. He stood on God's word. He came out of that fast. And it says he came out in the power of the Spirit and news of him went out through all the surrounding region and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. In fact, if I could read on and on, you'd be, you'd be able to see that Jesus began to heal people and deliver people and the power of God was upon him. And here's the good news. And this is the part that you've got to expect. As we come out of a fasting season, as we are tied to the Scriptures, continually saying, it is written, as we continually be on guard for the twisting and the convolution of the enemy, I'm here to declare to you that you need to believe this, that tomorrow morning when you arise and you go work or you go to school or wherever it is you're going, that you need to look at verse 14 in Luke chapter 4 and say, if it was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me, and I'm coming out in the power of the spirit because if we don't get these things we will remain powerless and i don't know about you but but i I, i'm ready to be a part of a revival i want you to stand with me let's all stand real quick